Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm back. You can be seated. We are closing the season of Pentecost now and also sort of putting a nice bow on the Ruth series that we've been in. This is one of my very favorite books in the Bible, and I'm very happy that I get to close it out. Um, I really admire just the story of Ruth and who she is in Scripture someone who was definitely from a previous, to use you know, language from a previous series, definitely an outsider in scripture. Not set up to have every single thing that she was called to have in life, but she did something with the portion that God had given her to insert herself into the very history of Israel and thereby be inserted into the history of this world. And I want to posit that she did that with her bold asks. She boldly asked for more than she deserved, according to society, or more that she was afforded to have available to her as a person of Moabite um, persuasion. And my prayer for us today is that we would see exactly what happens when we show the hesed of God to each other, the loving kindness to each other that places us in this long story and arc that goes through history. Father, I just thank you today that, um, for this opportunity to be in your presence and know that you are doing much more than we could ever see, that you have given us today as a gift that keeps on giving Help us to partner with our understanding of what you're doing today and have done through your son so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we shall be equipped to change and transform each environment around us. And I thank you for every person here, God, and how precious they are to your kingdom and how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. So she read Ruth 4 and 2. And Ruth 3 and 4 is um, Boaz asking his kinsman, fellow kinsman redeemer. He says, redeem it. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am the next in line. In order to really talk about this context, We have to talk about what's happened in the previous chapters. Ruth is divided into four chapters. The first one um, where she is boldly telling Naomi that she's going to be with her. Her people are going to be my, your people will be my people. Where you go, I'll go. She is asking but also telling Naomi that I ain't going nowhere. I am with you. This, our stories are connected in together. Chapter two goes into an ask of although Ruth was a widow, her and Naomi returned to Bethlehem in order to survive. 
Naomi had lost her husband, Elimelech, and as such, she was a widow, and Ruth became a widow serving a widow. This is a death sentence. This is, in our context, it would be a single mother who can't feed herself asking to serve another single mother who can't feed herself. It was an astounding act for Ruth to commit herself to Naomi in this circumstance. And then two, they show up in these fields, and as you know, Brian has set up a lot of that context. Like in the fields, you had the, the people who went through, and they cut the sheaves down. They normally use the sickle. They cut down the sheaves. Then you had people who came behind them. They were the harvesters. They tied all the bundles up and took them away. And then you had the gleaners who came, the poor who came and got the scraps. And this is the life that Naomi and Ruth were content to be relegated to at that time. And what does Ruth do but ask for more? She says, I know we're supposed to get the scraps, but can I be with the people who gather the sheaves? Which was unprecedented because you were supposed to be with the poor people. That's who you are. You're a widow. You're, re you're relegated to that. She's like, no, I want to be with the people who are getting the abundance. God, I have to feed not just myself, but I have to feed my mother-in-law. And she says this to Boaz, and he's like, oh, wow. Well, let me do that for you, and let me do even more. Stay in my field. Let my men draw water for you. This is like a competition in kindness, you know? <laughs> I always say that when you get married, you have to marry somebody who's kinder than you are. Because what that does is it allows you to serve each other and not be in competition. You remember when I did that for you? I gave you a back massage. <laughs> you can actually just serve each other and not be in complete competition. So when I think of Ruth, I think of the truth. So when I say Ruth, you say the truth. Ruth, truth. Ruth, she truly walked this world and on this earth in a way that is still inspiring people to this day. And... You know, her consolation prize was being the great-grandmother of David. Of David, the first righteous king of Israel. This was her prize for leaving her home in Moab and committing herself to a widow, to a path that was bent on destruction very often when you're talking about, but you got to get your Boaz, you know what I'm saying, you know. Single women, if you've ever heard that, it means that you got to find your, your wealthy man or whatever. You don't want no broke, you want a Boaz. But I think Ruth very often in this story becomes for me a Christ-like figure because she decides to be the mediator between utter destruction and Naomi. And says, your people will be my people. Where you go, I'll go. And in this way, we see that although we have not found complete justice in this city, in this earth, it's God's heart and desire to do so. She had, they had both experienced so much destitute destruction in their lives, both losing their husbands, Naomi losing her sons, um, being marooned, so to speak, in a foreign land. Everything that had happened to them had happened, even so much 
Naomi came back and said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because I have come back empty. I don't have anything left to give. But God takes that and uses that and places Ruth as a testament to his loving kindness to her. And even calling the word has said loving kindness is like, it's too simple. It's so much of a richer word than that. In the Greek, they call it, it's more like agape. It's just this God's benevolence and generosity and his heart that's always turned towards you for good. And I think there is something in us when we partner with this has said in our daily lives to be loving and kind that God can turn it into something big. And then we start to understand that we can ask for anything according to his will, and he hears us. He hears us, not just because we ask for ourselves, but because we ask for others. Destitute, facing destruction, yet they could be kind. Anybody in here like kind people? I really like kind people, especially in the city when I meet somebody that's like, has a genuinely like warm heart and has been kind and not become cynical because of the world, what happens in the world. What happens in this world is we get hurt. Anybody that's ever loved has been hurt. If you never want to be hurt, then never love. It's just that simple. It's easy, right? We all love and have a desire to be loved, and then therefore we can all be hurt sometimes. But the real challenge is walking with a tender heart, a widow with a tender heart, with a kind heart, to hold on to her mother-in-law in the midst of everything. My question for you is, how do you handle disappointment? Do you respond in loving kindness? Or does it make you cynical and take a step back from embracing who you're called to be? Disappointment happens. How we respond to it is completely up to us. And in this verse, Ruth replied in Ruth 1, 16 and 17, if anybody has ever heard of the 116 movement with Lecrae, this is a way better 116 verse. Just saying. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Naomi is wondering, what did I do to deserve this loving kindness? What she did is offer Ruth a glimpse of God. She said, I don't know the living God, but I know you. And therefore, I know the living God through him. People who are oppressed in society remind us that we are not there yet. We're, it's not quite time for us to pat our back on our accomplishments. The oppressed help us remember that. Why? Because the oppressed are very skeptical of systems that leave them out. And why are we called to serve and love alongside people? Because they give us a view of God's loving kindness that is another system to which we actually are called to operate in each other. A 
suppressed skepticism of world systems teach those of us in privileged places to think outside the box because the box has not worked for them. It reminds us that in the midst of whatever we go through, that we can press in and be loving and be kind and be like Ruth. The truth to be determined to be kind and to Hasid people. There's a weapon that can only be destroyed with our permission, and it's a tender heart of generosity and kindness. Every bit of hurt desires to take that away from us. But Ruth was determined to show Hasid far beyond her era and as much managed to touch history far beyond her era. We see it consistently in Scripture that God, that Jesus, responds so well to people who reach into history and pull something that's for another day into their own day. You think of the Syrophoenician woman who prays for her daughter to be healed, or you think of um, the centurion who prays for his servant to be healed. When we stand in the gap with our kindness, God moves. But... Sometimes we have to ask. Does anybody in here like asking for help? <laughs> I'm going to assume nobody really does. <laughs> it makes you feel weak. It makes you feel less than. It makes you feel um, vulnerable. But when we ask the Lord and others, what it does is, teaches us to depend not on ourselves. So the first ask was that your people would be my people. Where you go, I'll go. The second ask was to glean among the sheaves. The third ask, which was the strangest part of this story, is in Ruth 3, where Naomi counsels her to go into the threshing floor because Boaz is, you know, had a little drink. He's feeling good. He's asleep. He's passed out. Uncover his feet and lay down. I'm really glad Brian took that uh, Ruth 3 last night. <laughs> what it works out to be is she was proposing marriage to him. She was saying, I am yours. Because of all of the time that he has shown a loving kindness to her, to her, Naomi is like, obviously, this is a man that you need in your life. You're a widow. I don't want you to end up like me. Go do this marriage proposal. So Ruth goes, and in true Ruth fa fashion, Ruth the truth, she takes a step beyond just proposing marriage. She says, why don't you redeem Elimelech's whole family line? That was not the instruction that Naomi gave her. Naomi said, just go, wedding proposal. It's going to be awesome, you know, it's like amazing. And she says, no, I want Elimelech's line to be redeemed in the midst of this because you are the kinsman redeemer. And it's something about like, I, I don't know if she has a selfish bone in her body. I know reading things in, in hindsight can make you, you know, hold somebody to a place that maybe they shouldn't be. But even reading between the lines, this is just someone who couldn't think about themselves more than she thought about Naomi. Every step that she took, 
to get more grain, to glean in the fields, to say your people will be my people was a choice that was not for her own. This shows that we are salt and light not for ourselves because you can't put salt on itself. Salt goes on other things. Light is not for itself. Light is for the darkness. As believers, when we stand as mediators for people, there is nothing that God will not array on our behalf. I'm all for self-care and self-love, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's amazing. It's not a Christian concept. God takes care of those who takes care of themselves. Really? Is that in the Bible? It sounds Bible-esque. <laughs> very, very Bible-esque. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, all those like Bible-esque sayings. But he actually takes care of those who takes care of others. Because it causes us to really look inside and see our motivation for what we do. And far before Christ, far before our Savior ever made an appearance, someone forced themselves into that line because of how kind they were. Because of how committed they were to people who had nothing. Why do we still think there's another way to success in this world? Or there's another way to notoriety or influence in this world? She committed herself to someone who had nothing. How do we treat people who have nothing like they are nothing? The oppressed, the vulnerable, are not seen as children of God, much less a way to, to step in to history far beyond our own times. But this is a challenge of reading Ruth that she was committed with a decided heart. She wasn't hedging her bets. All right, I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? I'm going to work on a marriage arrangement over here, too, just in case this doesn't happen. She was all in. And we live in a place that hurt makes us not be all in. Because what if it doesn't work out? Maybe it doesn't work out because we're not all in. Because we're not committed and there's one step in and one step out, and I don't know if I can really trust the chesed of God. I don't know if his loving kindness is arrayed toward me necessarily in this moment. Jesus is a constant reminder that his loving kindness is always arrayed to us. See the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. Ruth understood this, and it made her ask for more. Yes, I can, okay, I can glean, cool. I'm happy to be here, just happy to be here. But can I glean among the sheaves? She was asking not for herself, but for Naomi. Get, it, get yourself a husband. You better get yourself a man. It's going to be awesome. But can you also redeem Elimelech's line so that Naomi is not left out in the cold without a family, without an inheritance? And her name is still told in this long story. And what happens in 4 with the first verse that we read is that Boaz starts to act like Ruth and ask for more. He puts himself out there. He says, okay, 
I'm going to redeem this line. That's if this other guy doesn't want to redeem it, then I'll do it. And the way redemption worked then is if someone died, in order for their line to go up, their closest relative had to redeem their land, their inheritance, but to do so would come at a heavy cost because they also had to divide up their inheritance if a child was born. So Boaz, you know, being slick as he is, you know, he's cool. <laughs> I'll start reading at 4.1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When a kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came over long, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down to set up. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if not, if you will not tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land. So the guy's like, agreed, cool, I'll call your bluff. Like, I'll redeem the land. Well, it's like, oh, hold on, buddy. I didn't tell you the whole story. On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, oh, ho, hold on then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So Boaz put himself out there with a bold ask and said, are you willing to redeem it? The guy's like, yeah, I'll do it. But he knew that if he acquired the widow and the land, and if she possibly had a child, then he would be dividing up his inheritance. But she was a widow and she was barren which makes the miraculous story of Ruth even more amazing. Makes it this wonderful story of someone who is oppressed, inspiring someone else to do a bold ask. And she's continuing to press the issue and ask for more according to the loving kindness. And I'm sure Boaz thought he was a good person already, but the audacity of her asks, pressed him even further. And what did it do but something amazing? In 1 John 5 and 14, it says, this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have received that of which we have asked of him. This is the first verse I ever learned as a child. My mother taught us to memorize this over and over, and it just always comes back that if we, this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, what do we know God's will is? To help the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. That's his will. That doesn't take any kind of gymnastics or whatever. If you want to look throughout history and find those who have been on God's side, find those who have cared for widows and orphans. It's true fasting is what Jesus continually calls us into. This is the confidence we have when we approach God that if we ask anything 
according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have received that which we have asked for. In his book called The God Ask, I read a story about Napoleon. Napoleon and his army, they conquer an island. And it was a hard-fought victory. And they're reveling in the victory and sitting there and the generals and they're all drinking and hanging out. And a young soldier comes up and says, sir, can I speak with you a second to Napoleon? He says, sure, yeah, what is it? He says, I want to ask you for this island we're standing on. And everybody's kind of shocked. <sighs> Napoleon takes a piece of paper, writes him a deed to the island. And all of his generals go, what the heck are you doing? What's going on? And Napoleon says, I was honored by the audacity of his ask. That he would even think of testing the limits of that. And this is a man. How much more so has God's loving kindness been arrayed to us? Test the limits of his goodness on behalf of others. In a personal world where there's so much prosperity gospel and so much things are going on that we're supposed to collect it, all for me, all for me. We don't understand. We're called to be mediators, just as Jesus was, so that the riches of God's grace could be shown to this world, could be shown to those that don't have anything. And Ruth the truth, when I say Ruth, you say the truth. Ruth showed us that path. Asking for more, unselfishly asking for more. I wish there was some kind of precedent of that happening in Scripture. There is. Solomon, what do you want? Make, give me wisdom and understanding so I can lead your people for somebody else. What did God say? Okay, I'll, I'll make you the most wealthiest person, not just now, but whoever lives. Moses, what's going to happen if you kill all these people? Look how that's going to make you look. Little guilt works on God, too. <laughs> You're going to look crazy if you do that now. Jesus, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do always arraying himself between God and other people, not for his own purposes, because he knows that when you get in line with God's abundance, it definitely will hit you, but very often we have to keep ourselves off, our eyes off of ourselves and on others and on Jesus. We are mediators in this new covenant. Ask. I don't want to get to heaven. I don't want to understand it. I get up there. Like, seriously, we're going to walk into heaven and be like, what? <laughs> All this stuff up here, and I ask for nothing. I ask for nothing. I ask for a bill to be paid. I ask for a parking space. <laughs> I ask for this fast to be over. <laughs> The audacity of our ass, always pressing God and his loving kindness. One time I was on the south side, 
in a, a coffee shop, Green Line Coffee. If you're down there, you should go check it out. And I was talking to these two ladies. It was around Christmas a couple years ago. One was Jackie, and the other was um, Ashley. And I asked them, I said, what do you want for Christmas? And Ashley was mother. She was like, I just want a day off, you know. I want time for myself. And I asked Jackie, and she was like, I don't even want to say it. I'm like, come on, say it. What is it? What do you want for Christmas? She's like, I've been wanting to start this photography business, but I need a camera. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. I didn't pray for him. I didn't do anything. Two weeks later, her boss calls her into her office and says, I got a gift for you. Buys her a brand new camera. I don't know if she had told that to many people, but what it, what it taught me is that our father is willing to go so much further in his loving kindness as we verbalize what's on our hearts. And how much so when we do it according to his will. Boaz is at this gate saying, you redeem it or I will. Asking, putting himself out there because a guy easily could have said, Meh, I'm not going to redeem it. Or that I am going to redeem it, and then Boaz would have almost looked like, oh, that's crazy. I already told her I would. Something happens when we step out there boldly and believe that God is going to do some amazing things. Chapter 4 closes out with the child, Obed, who is the grandfather of David. And guess who is holding this child? You guessed it. It's not Ruth. It's Naomi. Ruth had the child. Ruth places the child in Naomi's hands. True to form, she doesn't do anything for her own prosperity or her own posterity. But she does it for others. And as such... Boaz's family, who is the tribe of Judah, who are considered to be the Blue Bloods or maybe the Kennedys of their generation. Ruth becomes married, and not only does God unite the Moab and Israel lines in their family, but he just merely places her as a descendant of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And it happens on that road where she is clinging to Naomi. And Naomi is trying to kick her off, you know. <laughs> I got five kids, so I know that's what I can tell you. <laughs> Come on, get off me here. <laughs> she clings to her, and as such, she becomes, her name is mentioned in the New Testament as a descendant of Jesus. How wonderful is that? that even in the midst of her oppression, depression, destitution, disappointment, that she managed to continue to chesed everyone she came in contact with and show loving kindness. Remember that no one can take that away from you. That's something we can only yield. That's only something that we can forfeit ourselves. 
our loving kindness and our ability, ability to boldly go before the throne of grace and say, God, this is not for me, this is for them. This is what intercession is when we dare to ask and powerful. So Ruth, the truth. She manages to tear down every assumption of the way she's supposed to behave in this life and does so in a daring way. You want to go to the next one? This is a painting that I did and it's about Ruth and Boaz. And the one on the left, to me, signifies who she is. But if you look inside, the head of the figure is showing someone who's serving. And then Boaz on the right, if you look inside the face, it signifies someone who is running. The ambition of Boaz, of some, a man that's well-to-do. But how God has called us to be ambitious in our serving. He's called us to be ambition in our pursuit of justice and our defense of the poor, of the widows and the orphans, because this is true fasting. Let me pray for you. Father, there are people right now who <clears throat> have asks that have been in their heart forever. Salvation for someone else, career changes, um, good things that you desire for them according to your will. And I pray right now, Father, as you just take a second to either verbalize those with your lips or your heart. I just want to pray God's loving kindness over you towards that. And how when we array ourselves as mediators on each other's behalf, we ask according to his will, we know that he hears us. And I thank you for that moment, God. Thank you for your goodness and your determination to show us your love and kindness. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus or what it's like to be welcomed into his heart, I want to give you the opportunity to just raise your hand and we can say a prayer. receive Christ in your heart. If you're here and you need to get right with Jesus, I don't want to go away without asking. Thank you, God, for your love for us and for sending your son. 
for your determined chesed on our behalf. 